In this week's Torah portion, Yitro, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, brings Zipporah, Moses' wife, and their two sons into the wilderness to be with their people. The Torah says, one was named Gershom, meaning I have been a stranger in a foreign land. And the other was named Eliezer, meaning the God of my father was my help, and he delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. I'm not going to lie to you. This week's portion, beginning at Exodus 18.1, features the climax of the whole Torah, the giving of law at, the, at Mount Sinai. I commend that part to you, but now we're going elsewhere. Tonight, instead of commandments, we consider names. Some names, like Gershom and Eliezer, are significant for what they mean, and others have value for the people or ideas they represent. The Torah, and we who have inherited it, consider names to be deeply important. This is true from the very beginning. For example, in the second chapter of Genesis, God forms the first man, Adam, out of Adama, earth. Fittingly, Adam means man of the earth. I'm not the first one to observe that Jews assign great weight to names. The Torah uses many different titles for God, yet God's most essential name, yud heh vav heh it's all over your prayer book. We don't even know how to pronounce. Instead, we say Adonai, my lords. Only the high priest, Kohen HaGadol, was to utter yud heh vav heh and only in the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur. The holy name is taboo, and powerful. Tradition has it that when the time of death draws near, Malachamavit, the angel of death, must locate Jews by our Hebrew names. So when a Jew is seriously ill, we try to throw the angel of death off his assignment by renaming the sick person. Knock all you like, Malachamavit, ain't nobody here by that old name. When our rabbis name babies on the bima, it links departed loved ones with their tiny namesakes. It's Jewish resurrection, trading dentures for teething rings. <laughs> names rise and fall in cycles. When we were kids, Sophie was an old lady. Now you'll find Sophie learning to ride a bike or taking her SATs. Every family has naming stories. Around the turn of the 20th century, my mother's grandfather, Shlomo Marcus, scraped together enough money to bring his wife, Leah, and their two oldest children from Eastern Europe to New York City. Leah Marcus was feisty. During the voyage, she truly did throw her scheidel overboard. Five-foot-nothing Grandma Leia later told six-foot-tall Grandpa Shlomo that in America, their four daughters would get the same opportunities for an education as their three sons to put themselves through college. <laughs> Grandma Leia perished in the 1918 influenza epidemic. Her daughter Anna also died young. Then Leia and Anna, Leah Anna, were reborn in a baby, my mother of blessed memory, Leanne. 
near Kiev in the Ukraine, my great-grandfather, Avraham Epstein, managed the estate of a, no a, wel a wealthy nobleman. His children were raised with tutors and servants, but that ended when Avraham suffered a stroke and lost his position. The older ones, already grown, could fend for themselves, and the little ones needed their mother. Consequently, my grandmother, age 16, and her 13-year-old brother were shipped off to live with cousins in America. At his bris nearly 90 years ago, my father received his grandfather's name, Abraham. When we were young, my brothers and I would hear stories about these forebears and of my mother's other grandfather, Harry Levine. Harry was a master tailor, a brilliant craftsman who created the patterns others followed to sew fine garments for rich folks. None of us kids ever met Harry, but my brother Daniel received his Hebrew name, Uri, as his middle name. I grew up feeling a little shortchanged. Why was Danny named for someone, but brother Michael and I were not? Our other great-grandfather had died shortly before my birth, yet my parents inexplicably chose not to name their baby girl Shlomo. <laughs> In retrospect, that's probably for the best. Yet Judith felt like an inadequate name. Baby naming books said it meant a Jewish woman. No kidding. Someone short, dark-haired, bookish, and with this face called Jewish woman? The Food and Drug Administration defines that as generic labeling. <laughs> so, fast forward a few decades beyond the time I gave any thought to my name. One Torah study morning, we read about our matriarch Leah lording it over her sister Rachel, Rachel, the lifelong love of their husband Jacob. Imagine the sister's painful rivalry. Leah, unloved, and the favored Rachel, ironically barren. Leah's monologue is remarkable, in part because Torah rarely tells us women's names, never mind their words. Yet here, Leah announces each son's birth by ascribing meanings to their names, the names that, that she has chosen. Firstborn Reuven means, see everyone, a son. Leah interprets Reuven as not only the Lord has seen my affliction, but also, now my husband will love me. Next, Shimon, meaning heard, like Shema, because the Lord heard that I was unloved and has given me this one too. Of Levi, meaning joined, Leah says, this time my husband will become attached to me, for I have borne him three sons. There's pathos in the import she assigns each name, serial pleas for Jacob's affection. The narrative continues. She conceived again and bore a son and declared, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she named him Yehuda. Wait, Judah, Yehuda, means praise? This smacked me like a thunderclap. Judith, Yehudit, does not just mean Jewish woman. 
It comes from the Hebrew word, Hebrew root, lehodot, to praise or to thank. How cool is it that our people's name, Yehudim, Jews, means those who are grateful? So, I don't bear the name of a close ancestor, but deliberately or by chance, I've been blessed with a virtual summons to live in gratitude. It's a revelation and an assignment. Thanks, Mom and Dad. This Shabbat, whether you're Eliezer, David, Rachel, Ruth, Steve, or Shlomo, you may rediscover yourself, may you rediscover yourself and find purpose in your name.